well, friends, to bring some light and levity to our, our, our time, have you ever thought of doing something so big and so bold that you might be on the verge of greatness? Maybe? I hear a few chuckles out there. Okay. So the coffee company Dutch Brothers, they have this perk. They give it out to everybody. It's this thing that if you go to Dutch Brothers on your birthday, you get a free drink. And there are some people who are savvy enough. I'm, I try to be one of them. I don't often get to all of my, my plans and endeavors, but um, who go to multiple locations on the same birthday to get multiple coffee drinks. So I have a friend. Her name is Rose. Um, and she has this moment in her life. She was uh, getting ready to turn 30 years old. Uh, she was in some kind of medical school, something at the time. So she was already primed and ready with coffee running through her veins each and every day. And so she decided with a friend after finals on her 30th birthday, what was she to do but go to Dutch Brothers and get her free drink? But she didn't decide just to go to one, not just two, but endeavor to go to 30 (laughs) Dutch Brothers in one day. Now, the most shocking thing, you know, beyond all of that, so what comes to mind when I hear that kind of bold plan is uh, the opening lines of Star Trek Next Generation to boldly go where no one has gone before. And, you know, for me, I just, I hope I can get five so I can cover my family. But, but she went for 30 as, you know, a single person, and that's awesome. So as the story goes, she didn't make it to all 30. So she started, she was going to school in Eugene Springfield area, and they decided to hit up all the ones in Eugene and just start working south through Cottage Grove and beyond. So they made it to Medford by like 9.59, and I think they closed at 10 or something. And so they made it, they made them drinks, and they only got to 21 Dutch Brothers only, right? Now, the crazy thing in all of this is that they were, they were chasing an experience. So it's a really good story. It's a really, it's a memorable moment where even Angie was using this app called Marco Polo that her and her friend Rose use. And um, like she said, hey, can Tim share the story? And she said, oh yes, and let me go into all the details of it. So I got all the backstory and everything, but it makes for a good story. And I think that's because she got to taste the sweet, sugary goodness of all the good Dutch brothers. And she gets to have the story of how she was probably physically impacted by all that caffeine, right? And she can also testify to the good graces of Dutch Brothers, although now I'm pretty sure you have to have the app and they scan your app and you only get one because they knew people were onto them. And so, so if it's your birthday sometime coming up, do yourself a favor, go to Dutch Brothers. But I think for a lot of us, we do these kinds of things. It may not be as wild and 
wacky and crazy as going to 30 Dutch Brothers in one 24-hour day. But I imagine that as we go through life, there are all kinds of objects or activities that we chase after, hoping that that will finally bring us some kind of fulfillment. I know for me, just full disclosure, it's that other guitar, because I'm a guitar player. And it's like, I tell Angie, this is the last one. Baby, this is the last one, I swear. And then, but there's that other one that I really want. I have like three more that I want right now, and I don't have money for that. But we all chase after these things to try to bring us fulfillment and happiness. And maybe along that chase that maybe we would find some rest for our restlessness. I think about how, you know, as Bob was sharing, you know, families have really felt the heat during this virus season that we've been in with the pandemic and everything. And there's been a lot of restlessness. And I think the challenge for us is that, you know, beyond just the, the real practical needs, I think in all of us there is this core need for God, where I love this quote by St. Augustine. You'll probably hear me quote it a thousand times. Um, it usually comes up around Christmas time. But uh, he said, Everlasting God, you have made us for yourself so that our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And so today, as we've been going through this series, today is the last installment of our series called The King of the Kingdom. And along the way, we've kind of been hitting the highlights of Jesus' life leading up to age 30 when he started his public ministry. And so to do that, we've been finding that in the first four chapters of the Gospel of Matthew, we've been discovering who Jesus is. The fact that Matthew, his claim is that Jesus himself is the promised Messiah, the king who was going to come and rescue Israel and be that hope, like Fran had mentioned, to save them, but then not only that, to save the world. And so we set out to answer some questions initially of, okay, so who is this king? If Jesus is the king, and that's awesome, who is he? What is his background? What made him the person that he was, and what was he like? And so we looked at Jesus' genealogy for that. We discovered that Jesus is both fully God and fully man, that as the promised Savior both for Israel and the world, he came to identify with us, with humanity, so that no matter what your story may be, no matter what your background may be, that he wants to be with you. He wants to identify with you. And that's a beautiful thing and a humbling thing. We learn that Jesus came to be God's saving presence with us, that he's pursuing us with everything he's got, and that he is worth pursuing with everything we've got. And that as we do all of those things, that he has come to really start his kingdom in our hearts and in our lives. And as a result, that we need to be made ready. And we do that by responding to God when he speaks 
and as he's leading, and we do that through a response of repentance and reorienting and redirecting our lives toward him. And we went on to learn how since Jesus came to identify with us, he also came to show us a new way to be human. That we could live life differently than anybody had before with the help of the Holy Spirit. Because like Jesus, as we are submitted to the leading of the Holy Spirit, we don't have to sin. We can overcome temptation and sin even in the hardest times like Jesus. And all of that brings us to last week where we explored the amazing truth that Jesus wants you to follow him. You. Not, not just anybody else, but he wants you to follow him. Because we saw as he chose his disciples, before they could do anything to prove their worth, before they could do anything to be impressive and to show off and say, hey Jesus, look at me. He chose them. He said, come, follow me. And the same invitation comes out for you and me this morning and as we engage with a relationship with God that he knows where we're at, he knows what we've been through, and he still wants you and me to follow him. That's how good our God is, amen? That's how good our Jesus is. So that brings us to this morning, where the title for today's message is Express God's Kingdom. It's kind of this wrap-up summary of the first four chapters of Matthew. Our passage today, go ahead and go to the next slide, is Matthew 4, verses 23 through 25, a short but powerful section. And the big idea that we're going to be discussing today is that what Jesus does reveals how good God is. What Jesus does reveals how good God is. Kind of like how I drink this coffee to know how good God is. It's true. That's my great segue into I need a drink, but here we go. Okay, so let's get some context before we jump into our reading for today. By the end of Matthew 4, we've covered four chapters at this point, Jesus had already arrived on the scene. His baptism was like this great inaugural moment where he, as the king of God's kingdom, identified with people and chose to fulfill the practice that God had chosen to use through John's ministry. And this was followed up by a 40-day trek, Holy Spirit-led thing through the Judean wilderness for Jesus to be tempted by the devil. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, Jesus proved faithful through it all. And after all of that, Jesus moved back up north to live in Capernaum and begin his ministry as a traveling rabbi. So having just called Peter, Andrew, James, and John to follow him and become his disciples, Jesus gets to work. And that's going to bring us to the very beginning of our time today. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 22. Uh, if you don't have your Bible with you today, that's okay. No judgment. Um, 
go ahead and follow along on the screen. We have it digitally for you there as well. Picking up in verse 23, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria, and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. Everybody say all. All. He healed them all. Large crowds followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee, the ten towns, Jerusalem, from all over Judea and from east of the Jordan River. Friends, this is the word of the Lord given by the Apostle Matthew. In these few verses, they're really a summary of what Jesus' ministry looked like. And there were three main actions that defined the work that Jesus did. We have them up on the screen. Preaching, teaching, and healing. One of the ways that may be helpful for us to think about it is kind of like that Venn diagram where you have all the circles converging on each other all around this core central topic theme idea that what Jesus does reveals how good God is. And since there are the three ways that Matthew records that Jesus expressed the kingdom during his ministry, and because those three actions were modeled to the early disciples by their rabbi Jesus, it's important for us as followers of Jesus to know what Jesus did, what it accomplished, and what it might look like for us to do those kinds of actions to express the kingdom. So let's take a look at each of these in turn and see what we can learn from them. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Preaching. Though it's not the first action that's mentioned in what we read today, preaching was the first work that Jesus did, as Matthew records it, after his wilderness trek and his move to Capernaum. In Matthew 4, 17, it says, from then on, Jesus began to preach. Repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. And that's echoed in verse 23 that we just read, where Matthew writes that Jesus traveled throughout the region announcing the good news of the kingdom. Go ahead and go to the next slide. So the original Greek word that's used both in verse 17 and verse 23, one says preach and one says announce, is the word keruso. And it means to proclaim openly after the manner of a herald, to publish, announce. And that announcement was always heard with a weight and authority which must be acted upon. That's interesting. And used with the public proclamation of the gospel, the good news, and matters pertaining to it. So the act of preaching was something that Jesus did around the crowds of people when they would come to him and he would be out in the open air public ministry in first century judea this was his way of spreading the message of the kingdom 
because he would go right into those ordinary places of life out in the field or along the lake shore or someplace in between. And he would communicate through stories and illustrations that people could relate to, that they could really picture with their minds. And with something as big and as far off as the kingdom of God may have seemed, Jesus went to those places and made the high and lofty ideas accessible and applicable for their lives in that moment there and then and for us today here and now. And so because this proclamation was something that had a lot of authority behind it, imagine the Son of God coming in the power of the Holy Spirit to announce the good news of the kingdom. That has some weight and authority, wouldn't you agree? And so that message moved people to act on what they heard. But all of this is different from the way the Jews had up to that point thought about the kingdom. For them, it had been just some far out someday reality that they were hoping and praying for. But they never quite seemed to get to. Kind of like we talked about in our second week or third week that they just hadn't found what they were looking for. They, they wanted to reach the kingdom, but it wasn't quite here yet, and they weren't able to attain it. And so here comes Jesus preaching that the kingdom is near, which really is like saying, it's here, it's now. Like right now, it's not just some far-off reality. The kingdom is here. And so the first thing that we learn from this summary of Jesus' ministry, you can go to the next slide, is that preaching renews our vision of God's kingdom. I believe this is a similar dynamic for us as believers today. For many of us, we grew up singing songs like, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. I don't know the rest of the song, but... I could probably sing it if the words were up there. Um, Or when the roll is called up yonder, right? And we talk about heaven and the kingdom of God as something that we have to wait to experience until we die and we get to heaven. But let me renew your vision and expectation, friends. Because the kingdom of God is a reality that we can experience here and now through a relationship with Jesus Christ and through the community of believers. And while we wait for God to completely and fully establish his kingdom at the consummation of all things, which if, shameless plug, if you want to know more about that, go to Norm's Bible study on Thursday nights because they're going to be talking about it when God's going to fully establish his kingdom here on earth. But so as we wait, we can experience the kingdom right here and right now through the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And so preaching renews our vision of God's kingdom, which is something that Jesus did. And what Jesus does reveals how good God is, and that would give us that renewed vision of his kingdom. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Now we come to teaching. 
Matthew 23 says that Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee teaching in the synagogues. Go ahead and go to the next slide. The Greek word that's used there for teach, it's the word didasko, which means to talk with others in order to instruct them, deliver didactic discourses, which is just basically, it's a basic teaching, to impart instruction, instill doctrine, to explain or expound on a thing, to teach someone something. Uh, It's also for moral instruction, which we'll get into next week in our next series. And so as Jesus traveled as a rabbi would in his day, he would stop at the local synagogues and teach them the scriptures. This was a much more intimate setting than experiencing preaching in the open air. I don't know if you've ever experienced a street preacher before, somebody just preaching out in the open air. I used to get that all the time when I was at Portland State University, you know, those street preachers trying to save us sinners. And um, I guess I say that tongue-in-cheek. But anyway, so, but imagine... You are in an intimate, just close Bible study setting, maybe even in your own home, and someone were to shout at you like they were street preaching. It wouldn't go the same. And so it's definitely a more intimate setting. It's something more of a conversation where if we didn't have the whole speakers and everything and maybe our room was a little bit, you know, smaller and everything and we still had the same number of people here, we could just have a conversation, And we could bring up, hey, this is what the scriptures say. What do you think? Which also happens on Thursday nights. This isn't my shameless plug completely for a Bible study, but teaching is happening in our church, and I am so grateful for it. And I'm grateful for the fact that we can have these conversations together around the scripture and learn what God's word has to say. And so... Beyond the crowds, Jesus would contextualize what he had been saying through these teaching moments in the synagogues. And that leads us to the second thing, go to the next slide, that we learn from our summary of Jesus' ministry is that teaching reveals the truth of the kingdom. It reveals the truth of the kingdom. There are a lot of thoughts and opinions about who God is and what God is like in how we relate to him and what it looks like for us to experience heaven or even the kingdom, let alone all the other doctrines and theologies that we pick up from pop culture along the way. The good thing that that teaching does for us is that it anchors our understanding of God and our experience of God in the Bible. Teaching also clarifies and challenges us to refine what we think about God and his kingdom. And through this community learning environment, teaching reveals us to us the truth of the kingdom, which, again, is something Jesus did. And what Jesus does reveals how good God is. And the fact that he chose <coughs> to use the mode of teaching to communicate His truth is truly a gift. (coughs) Excuse me. Third thing, go ahead and go to the next slide, is healing. (coughs) 
<clears throat> this is a kingdom expression that is probably the most sensational and the most striking of the three because it's a work that you literally see immediate results and impact from the work of the Holy Spirit that, it w- that the Holy Spirit would have on a person. We also learn from the summary in Matthew 4 that Jesus healed all kinds of infirmities, that this was a healing experience that, would, that people would go out of their way to have, or that if they knew <coughs> that they had friends or family that were dealing with something, they would drag them along and say, you got to come see this guy. He's actually healing people. And so they were chasing Jesus down to participate with this expression of the kingdom. So let's see if we can find out what it was about healing that makes it so special beyond what we see on the surface. So the Greek word uh, for healing is therapeuo, which means to heal, to cure, restore to health, heal a sickness, or restore someone to a right condition, reversing a physical condition. So on a very basic level, I think we all kind of understand what healing is, but the expression of healing on one level is caring for our most pressing immediate physical needs in order to restore us to some sort of physical health and wholeness. But on another level, as we peel back the layer of our understanding, another level of this in the ancient world was that different physical, mental, or spiritual illnesses were seen as a direct result of a person's sin or their family's sin or just the general effects of sin on humanity. So that's why in the Gospel of John chapter 9, the disciples asked Jesus about this man who was born blind. Jesus, who sinned? Did he sin? Did his parents sin? Who, where should we place the blame on this? And that was their worldview. They were looking for, okay, where, where's the sin problem here? How can we fix this? And this was their understanding. Yet another level beyond that is this issue of healing in the Jewish culture is that according to the standards set forth by the law of Moses in Scripture, sickness and ailments would cut you off from participating in the family of God until you got better and got signed off and released by the priest and everything and you were good to go. And I think we all have kind of a picture of that today. We got to experience that firsthand through this whole pandemic when you even get a cough. <laughs> Man, you got to quarantine and go get the, the thing poked up your nose so that you can say, yep, you're good to go. You don't have to quarantine anymore, right? We, we have that very real world example nowadays for that. And with all these levels, it brings us to this more dynamic work in this beautiful truth that, about healing. Go to the next slide. That healing reflects the goodness of God's kingdom. The truth is, God has come to meet our most basic needs. 
also we see that divine healing, whether it's physical, mental, or spiritual, it's all in there. We had references to the whole gamut. It all works to reverse the condition that we experience because of the fall of humanity. And it gives us a taste of a restored health that gives us a glimpse of the kingdom here and now. And with the act of healing, it's not only to restore our health, it, it not only reverses the effects of the curse, but it also restores us back into our place in the family of God. So healing reflects the goodness of God's kingdom, which is something Jesus did. And what Jesus does reveals how good God is. And the fact that he chose to use the mode of healing to communicate the, his heart for us, his compassion towards us, it's a humbling thing. And it's something that would make me want to pursue that or ask for that. So bringing it all together with this idea of the Venn diagram, you can go to the next slide. Each of the expressions of the kingdom used by Jesus reveal how good God is. Check. Good to go. But they also interrelate with each other as well. So even though preaching and teaching have their distinctions and qualities about them, Jesus used them to communicate the message of the kingdom to us. The way that teaching and healing relate is that functionally, you can go to the next slide, they both convince us of God's presence in the kingdom here and now. And going to the next slide, the way that healing and preaching relate is that they compel us to act. They move us to act on what we've heard, felt, or seen in continuing to pursue God and his kingdom. And you might be thinking, that's all great. But how do these types of kingdom work reveal how good God is? Thank you for asking. I believe that preaching, teaching, and healing show us that God cares. Uh, To use a colloquial phrase, God gives a rip about you and me. There's other ways of saying that. I'm not going to say it right now, but you can picture it in your head. He cares. He actually does care about you, and he cares about me and all of us. The fact that God would care enough to bring people and situations into our lives that would communicate his good news to us, that we could experience rescue and restoration in a new life with him and in his kingdom, that his kingdom is actually what we were made to thrive in in the first place. And he has chosen each and every one of us to participate in that kingdom. That all shows me God's good. That's how good he is. He loves you and he hopes for you more than you can think or imagine. So as followers of Jesus, learning and seeking to be like him, I believe the fourth thing we learn from the summary of Jesus' ministry, number four, uh, next slide. The world is ready for you to express God's kingdom. The world is ready for you to express God's kingdom. The truth is that the crowds of people were chasing after an experience with these miracles from Jesus, kind of like my friend Rose was chasing after her experience with Dutch brothers 
and getting that free taste of that sweet sugary goodness. There was something in what Jesus did that revealed how good God is. And it inspired them to want to experience more of God in that moment. And I believe that that's the cry of our hearts this morning, that we want to know God more today than we did before. And this leads me to a few questions that I want to ask as we consider how we might do that. Because not all of us are going to be preachers, formal preachers. Not everybody's going to get up here or go down on Bay Street and Bible thump and say, you know, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Not everybody is going to do that exact literal thing. But maybe you might preach in other ways. Not everybody is going to lead a Bible study. Now, I think you could. I think that God has given you the ability and uh, there's tools and ways to equip you to do that and empower you. However, not everybody's going to do that. And not everybody is going to necessarily participate in a healing ministry kind of moment. Now, I think we can all pray, and I think we can all be a part of those things, but not everybody is going to do that. So how do we do what Jesus did if we're going to follow him? Because he did these three basic things, and he set this template and this example. So how do we do it? Here's some questions to consider. How have you experienced God's goodness in your life? It's a rhetorical question, Gail. But consider, how have you experienced God's goodness in your life? I have some examples. I have some testimony to that. Second question is, what ways or in what ways has your experience convinced you of his love for you? where he's really just transformed your whole way of thinking and understanding about him, that you realize, God loves me! It's such a simple, easy thing. But when we experience God, that leads us to convincing us that, man, there is a God who loves me. And he has hopes for me. And he has dreams for me. And he has a plan for my life. And he actually wants to walk with me the third question would be how has what you've received from jesus compelled you to live for him all of these questions rhetorical questions and if you want if you don't want to write them down right now and you just want to sit and ponder these things that's cool but uh and reach out to me later and i'll give you these questions but What these questions do is it helps us understand how we can express God's kingdom because we're experiencing it each and every day. We're experiencing it in the times when we go to work and the times when we go to the store, whether it's the grocery store or the hardware store or your favorite antique store. We're experiencing God's goodness, God's kingdom here and now. There are opportunities for us to do that. When we have people over to our house and we share, we break bread together, whether that's actual bread or just tea cookies and tea or something, you know? Uh, I'm trying to make it light and airy, but here we go. 
The point is, you can experience God's kingdom here, on this earth, here and now. So, if you're experiencing that, and I believe you can, and I think you will, and I think you have already, because I'm getting a lot of head nods, that means you have a story to tell. That means that you have a testimony about how God has met you. And that means that you get to share that with people. And that can just be something as simple as a one-on-one coffee conversation or tea or your beverage of choice, whatever. But my point is you can have somebody just, uh, you know, maybe socially distance. I don't know how, how you all feel about that. But you can talk to people. They're there. There's a whole world crying out for love and for hope. And they want to know What's the hope you've experienced? What is the life that you found in Jesus? And so I'm just, I'm riffing right now. So I'm, I'm going to bring this to a close. But my challenge as we conclude this series, we've learned about Jesus. We've learned about the things that he went through and the things that he did and the things he started. And next week, we get to uh, explore the ethics of the kingdom through um, a brand new series called The Kingdom Manifesto. It's going to be great. You don't want to miss it. Um, We're going to be going through the Sermon on the Mount, which is one of the big teaching proclamation sections where if you want to know what Jesus has to think about things, go there. And so um, we're going to go into all of that. But we get to take what we've learned and experienced and take it to others.